Right? So, um, Sister Nancy, I'm going to start by asking you, since you're going to answer anyways. <laughs> so, this is our week number seven, right? Seven. It's six, ser- six topic, but it's our week number seven, talking about, somebody help me, the power of the blood of Jesus. Amen. I highly recommend for you guys to try to memorize the scriptures that we go through. It's going to be powerful by, by the time we finish to know all these scriptures about the blood of Jesus. So our very, very first week, we talked about what blessing we have in the blood. Absolutely. Without the bloodshed, there is no forgiveness of sin. So first week, we talked about forgiveness in the blood. And the scripture reference was in, in Hebrews chapter 9. Without the bloodshed, there is no forgiveness of sin. The week after, we talked about... The blood. Exactly. <laughs> what part? We did focus about the, the week after. We talked about... Entering the holy place. Man, Nancy, you're going to come and preach next time. Uh, <laughs> entering the holy place. And the scripture reference was in Hebrews chapter 10. That we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Barb, it's, it's your turn. Uh, <laughs> third week. <laughs> what did we talk about? The new covenant by the blood of Jesus. We spent two weeks on that. And the scripture reference... Nancy. Nancy. <laughs> okay, the scripture reference for the blood of Jesus um, is the, the means to enter the new covenant with God. The one example, for example, Luke 22, when Jesus said on the, when he was preparing the Lord's Supper, this is the, my blood for the new covenant that was shed for many for the remission of sin. So that's the third thing. We enter into the new covenant by the blood of Jesus. And then we talked about... Purchased by the blood of Jesus. And that was from Revelation chapter 5. When the multitude stand before the Lamb. And they're going to sing. Worthy are you Lamb to take the scrolls and open it up. Because you were slain and you have did what? You have purchased us to God our Father. Your Father um, by the blood. By your blood. And then last time I preached we talked about being acquired by the blood, perfect. And we say that it's a little bit different than purchasing because the emphasis here on the actual position that God is uh, acquiring us, owning us, us through the blood of Jesus. And the scripture reference for that was Acts 20:28, 20, when Paul told the elders in Ephesus, uh, take care of the church of God, which he has what? has acquired by his own blood. Amen? Now, today is topic number six, and we're going to talk about how we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Amen? So, redeemed by the blood, that's a scripture reference, 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19. Amen? Here is what Peter said. Knowing that, it's in your notes, or you can read it in your Bible, knowing that, You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He, that's Christ, indeed was foreordained before the foundations of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. Amen? 
Let's just say these two verses, 18 and 19, um, together, because it's so powerful. I want you to memorize it if you can. Knowing that, let's say it together. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus as with a lamb without blemish and without spot. Let's say it one more time and then I'm going to start preaching. Let's say it together. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, amen, like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus, the blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. This is powerful. I just feel like I can just sit down and the sermon is good enough. Amen? It's just so powerful. All right, so today we're going to talk about being redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I'm going to talk about three things. Uh, point one and two, we're going to try to skim through. Um, and then we're going to try to really focus on this scripture and try to look in depth into it. So when you want to talk about the word redeemed in the Old Testament, what does it mean? And then we're going to talk about how in the New Testament, there is so many scriptures, not just this one, that says that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. That's point number two. And finally, we're going to spend some serious time trying to analyze these two verses that we just read in uh, Peter to understand what does it mean from Peter's perspective here that we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Amen? So what does the word mean in the Old Testament? It's simple. We talked about that before as well. Redemption means that somebody is owning a slave or capturing uh, a slave or somebody is in bondage. So another master, master number two, will go to master number one who owns that slave and pays him ransom money so that slave can be set free. Not just be set free, but also be transferred to the ownership of the second master. Does that make sense? For example, we used that example before. When you watch a movie about um, uh, a gang that kidnapped a kid, and then they call the parents and say, hey, you want your kid back? You have to pay us a million dollars. So the million dollars is called ransom money. You pay that to the oppressor so that the captives, this child, can be set free from that captivity. The process is called redemption. The money is called ransom money. Amen? And if we look at the Old Testament, um, there are three different Hebrew words that kind of correspond to the word redemption in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Each one of these words pretty much had the exact same meaning. That you pay money so that the captive can be set free. Amen? The first word we read about is actually called gal. I might be butchering all these pronunciations, but something like that. Gal. So this word involves family obligation. A prime example we have in the Old Testament for that is the story of Ruth. You guys remember the story of Ruth? When Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. What does that mean? In the Old Testament, there was obligations. If you are a blood relative to somebody and the husband dies, there is certain obligation is laid upon you to redeem the land, to make sure that the land doesn't go away. Purchase it with your own money if you have to. And you can marry the widow as well, like Ruth. So this 
Concept of redemption definitely involves uh, paying money, but the difference here is there is a blood tie. There is a, a family connection. And that's the first word in Hebrew that talks about redemption. The second word, I'm just going to skip through these. I'm not going to focus a lot. You can go back and study more if you want to. You have the notes. The second word is the word pada. In Arabic, it's very similar, fada. So I, I know the exact same word. Brother Emmanuel, do you have anything similar like that? Fada, same thing? Yeah, okay, so exact same thing in Arabic. Yeah, so fada is different. Oh, pada. What is it? Oh, okay. Fada, yeah. Pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So it's, yeah, it's a similar word in Arabic. That's my mother tongue. It's the same word like in Hebrew here. So here, pretty much the same concept. You pay money for somebody who is either going to die or under oppression or being held captive. And this ransom money is the reason for that person to be set free. The only difference between these two words is that the second word, fada or pada, doesn't really, there is no requirement that you will be related to that person. It's a pure act of grace. You don't have to do it. You just choose to do it. You choose to pay the money to set that captives free. Amen? So that is the second word. The first word is, there is a family obligation. The second word is purely based on an act of grace. You just choose to spend the money to set that captive free. And then the last word is the word kupfer, uh, which is pretty much literally means ransom money. That's the word for it. And nothing unique about it. All these three Hebrew words in the Old Testament correspond to the same Greek word that we've been studying, which is we are redeemed. And these three words, pretty much every single incident, it's pretty standard. There is a paying of ransom money so that the captive can be, can be set free. You guys follow me so far. That's the emphasis. Redemption involves paying ransom money so that the captive will be set free. The one exception in the Old Testament where the word redemption is used, but there is no money payment is involved. Sometimes when the word is used for, for God, like God is being the redeemer or doing the redemption act. Sometimes in the Old Testament, God is doing the redemption. We don't see money being involved or payment being processed. But we see, on the other hand, God is putting a lot of effort for the redemption to happen. Amen? So the concept of payment here is somehow replaced when it comes to God with God doing a lot of heavy work so that the captives will be set free. An example for that, Nehemiah 1.10. Look at what Nehemiah had said. Now, it's the um, very last part here in that paragraph. Here is Nehemiah. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy, look at that, great power and by thy strong hand. So Nehemiah here is saying, God, you redeemed your people with a lot of effort. So many times we read how God redeemed his people from Egypt with a stretched arm, with a mighty hand. So even though the price here is not involved, but we see that God did a lot of effort for the redemption to happen. Amen? So that is the Old Testament background of redemption and what that meant. And when people read that in, in the book of, when Peter wrote that, that's what was in Peter's mind. There is price need to be paid for you and I who are being held captive so we can be set free. For Peter, he said that price was not corruptible Things like silver or gold, but was what? The precious blood 
of Christ. Amen? And it's not only Peter. In the New Testament, there is so many scriptures, so many, that tells us, teaches us, that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I'm going to read a few for you here, okay? There is explicit scripture that tells us that we're redeemed by the blood. And that is 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19. We just read that. Ephesians 1, 7. Paul said, in him we have redemption. How? Through his blood. Hebrews 9, 12. The author of Hebrews. He entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of blood of goats and cows. But by means of his blood. Own blood. What is the result? Thus securing an eternal redemption. So this scripture here explicitly tells us that we are redeemed because of the blood of Jesus. That the blood of Jesus was the ransom money for us to be redeemed. But there are some other scripture that implies that. That implies Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross and his blood is the reason for us to be redeemed. A couple more. Titus 2.14. Look at this. Who gave himself, that's Jesus, gave himself for us. Where? On the cross. When he died. When he shed his blood, he gave himself for us. Why? To redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own position who are zealous for good works. So that Paul here in Titus ties the death of Christ and shedding his blood with our redemption. Romans 3, 24 to 25. And, and are justified by his grace as a gift. That you and I, we are justified by his grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay. We, we have redemption in Christ Jesus. Verse 25. Whom God has publicly displayed. Has put forward as a propitiation by his blood. We obtained the redemption when Jesus died on the cross. To be a propitiation for us by his blood. So again the blood is not explicit here, but is implied that redemption was obtained by the blood of Jesus. Finally, Hebrews 9, 15. Since a death has occurred, that's in the Old Testament, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant or the first law. So again, we see that death has happened, blood has been shed, and because of that, there has been redemption from the transgressions that happened under the Old Covenant. Amen? So... That is six different scripture in one way or shape or form ties our redemption to the cross and the blood that Jesus shed on, that, Jesus shed on that cross. Amen? 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 Amen. Let's now look at, uh, that was my introduction. Let's now look at um, the scripture that we just read. We can go with this so many ways. I want to focus on this one scripture and we'll be done with the redemption by the blood today. Um, let's just think about this scripture that, that we just read in First Peter. And I want to highlight three points with you that uh, Peter was talking about here. Amen? The first one is what we have been redeemed from. Okay? Number two, what we have been redeemed with. And number three, what we have been redeemed to. Amen? Let's say these three points together so I make sure you follow me, okay? What Peter was talking about is three things. Number one, what we have been redeemed from. Number two, what we have been redeemed with. And number three, what we have been redeemed to. Amen? 
So let's just focus on these three points real quick. Number one, what we have been redeemed from, according to Peter. You guys can help me out. What did Peter say? Amen. He said that we have been redeemed, not with corruptible things like silver or gold, from what? From our aimless conduct that we have received by the traditions from our fathers. Amen? Amen. So what Peter was telling us here in this context that there's two things, I mean two descriptions of our way of life that we have been redeemed from. By the way, the word conduct is actually uh, in Greek way of life. Paul is not talking about one thing you do. He's talking, Peter is not talking about one thing you do. He's talking about how we were living, all right? And in describing the way that we were living before Christ, that very way of life that we have been redeemed from, he said it's two things. Number one, it is empty, right? It's worthless. It's idle. It's nothing. Number two, he said it is inherited, right? So number one, it is empty, aimless way of life that people were living. And I tell you, every single soul that lives away from God is living an aimless and empty way of life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Because nobody can fulfill the desires of our heart except one person, and his name is Jesus. You don't live with him, then guess what? You can live as much as you want, and you're going to end up Empty. That's why they say that the highest number rates of suicide is in Switzerland or somewhere in these nations where that's where people have health care, have money, have homes, have everything they need. But when they obtain everything that the world is offering them, they discovered, man, all this is still nothing. There is absolutely no reason for me to live. You know why? Because they have not discovered the God that has created them for himself. Amen. And the scripture is clear about that. So many times, God is telling us in the word, in the Bible, that life without him is aimless, is empty, is idle, is worthless. Amen? Let's just read a couple of examples. Jeremiah 2, 5. Here is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They they followed what? Worthless idols and became... Worthless themselves, their life, everything about them became worthless because they have forsaken me. Jeremiah 2.13, look at this. My people have committed two sins, God says. They have forsaken me and spring, uh, the spring of living water and have dug their own uh, citrons, broken citrons that cannot hold water. They left me the fountain of the living water and they dig water for themselves and they cannot find anything. It's empty. My life away from me is so empty. Amen? You guys remember a lady in in, in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. She went to get water and she saw Jesus there. And what did Jesus tell her? He said, whoever drinks of this water, he wasn't talking about physical water. He's talking about the water that the, the world can offer to every one of us. He said, whoever drinks of this water, what will happen to them? They shall thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I give, that's for himself, then you will never thirst again. Amen? Because life without Jesus is so empty. It's so worthless. It's so idle. It is so nothing in it. 
Last one, last scripture, Acts 14, 15. Here is what the scripture says. Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only humans like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things, your worthless way of life, your worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything is in them. Life without God is worthless. It's empty. There is nothing in it. Amen? Amen. When you go out and witness and you see a lot of people, honestly, they, for me, they have a facade. They act like they got it all together. Oh, I have the house. I have the wife. I have the kids. I have the car. I got it all together. But deep down in their hearts, I know they are empty and they are broken. They are empty and they are broken because there is nothing that can satisfy the soul of man except one person. And his name is Jesus. And that's what Peter said. Peter was saying, you were living an empty, aimless, worthless life. You were just going around looking for true satisfaction and you could not find it anywhere. But the good news is this. You have been redeemed from that. Jesus paid the price by his own blood on the cross. So you don't have to live that no more. You don't have to live an empty life no more. Now you can have Christ himself. And the the, the cost of redemption wasn't easy. It was his own blood on the cross. But he did it because he loves you and me so much. Amen? Number two, it's not just empty way of life, it's an inherited way of life. He said that. It's an aimless conduct way of life which you inherited from your forefathers, right? When, when Peter said this is your inheritance, that means it's your heritage, right? Now, I have, I inherited a lot from my parents. I inherited their, their looks, their skin color. I didn't have any options in that, right? But that's my inheritance. And that's in a way what, Peter was telling here, he's saying, this empty way of life, the the way of life that will never satisfy you, you didn't choose that. That was passed on to you from your fathers who lived an empty way of life, and they passed that to you, so you're living an empty way of life, and you are about to pass that on to your children, so they can also live an empty way of life. But the good news is the cycle has stopped, because Jesus died on the cross, and he shed his blood, so you don't have to live like this anymore. Amen? I was uh, ironing this morning and I looked at Mike and I was thinking about that scripture. I was like, boy, I'm sorry I'm passing to you this empty way of life. Because he's taking it from me, right? But I was so happy that Jesus died for him on the cross. So he doesn't have to inherit this from me anymore. Amen? I'm so thankful that my children don't have to keep on inheriting that messed up cycle. Because the blood of Jesus is far more powerful to redeem them from that empty way of life that they're going to get from me. Amen? Amen? Number one, it's empty. Number two, it's inherited. But Peter in other places in the, in the letter that we're reading describe it as a couple of more things. He said it's ignorance to be living far away from God. That's First Peter 1.14. As obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. When you live far away from God, you're living in ignorance. But number four, it's also Gentile disposition. This is why he said for his Peter 4.3. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do. Living in the factory. Something like that. Lust, drunkenness, orgies, corrosing and detestable idolatry. Wow. This is a nasty way of living apart from Christ. And that is, friends... 
the way of life that you and I have inherited and we're supposed to live it every single day if it wasn't for Jesus. Amen? This would have been our normal mess that we have to live in day in and day out. But thank goodness that Jesus came from heaven and he died on the cross and he shed his blood so he can redeem us from that empty way of life that we have inherited from our forefathers. Amen? Number two, that's what we have been redeemed from. Now, let's look at what we have been redeemed with. Peter is clear that we have not been redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Amen? Who is a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, it seems like the foundation of that scripture that uh, Peter is telling us here comes from Isaiah. It seems like that. In Isaiah 52.3, here is what Isaiah wrote under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You were sold for nothing and you will be redeemed without silver. That's what Isaiah told the nation of Israel in the past. It seems like that was the foundation on which Peter wrote that verse. But the only difference is this. Isaiah said that when you were redeemed, you were redeemed with not with money, right? Peter took it to a higher standard. And he said that what you have been redeemed with is far more valuable than any money, than any silver, than any gold. It is not something corruptible. It is the precious blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So that is the foundation of that verse. As It seems like he took it from there. And he said that, we're not redeemed by perishable things, right? Silver or gold. I don't know why Peter seems like he's the guy who's always talking about silver or gold. I was just thinking about that. It's not in your notes. Um, remember when he went to the, um, the, the temple in Acts chapter 3, and he saw the guy, the lame, at the door of the gate, and he was like looking at them, asking for money. What did Peter, it's the same Peter. What did he say? Silver and Gold, I don't have. It's the same guy who's telling us here. You've been redeemed now with silver and gold. He told the guy back then, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. And the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And in the letter that we're reading here, a couple of times he talks about silver and gold as, you know, put it in perspective. It's not really worth it. Um, he said in, 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 in chapter 1 that our faith when it's tested is far more precious than gold, Right? And then he told woman in a couple of chapters later, don't adorn yourself with silver and gold as well, right? So it seems like he talks about a lot about silver and gold. So he, he applied the same principle when it came to our redemption. And he said, silver and gold are perishable. They will be destroyed. They will vanish away. But even though they might be so precious, this is the best that the world can offer, right? When you have silver and gold, that's like the best thing you can ever hope for as far as materials go, right? But what Peter was saying is this, even the very best, the silver and gold that this world can offer you, this massive precious blood, precious, precious price, that was not the reason for your redemption. Because they perish, they will destroy. But you, on the other hand, have not been redeemed, have not been redeemed with destructible, perishable things like silver and gold. But you've been redeemed with what? Precious blood of Christ. Amen. Now, why did Peter call the blood of Jesus precious? I, as far as I know, that's the only time in the scripture that the blood of Jesus is described as precious. So I was thinking about that and obviously studying as well. Why would Peter call the blood of Jesus precious? And there was at least three reasons. Some of them I found in books, some of them I was thinking about. Why the blood of Jesus is precious? Number one, it's precious because it's everlasting, right? In the context, what is Peter 
comparing the blood of Jesus to. He's comparing it to silver and gold that perishes. So he's saying silver and gold do perish. But on the other hand, in contrast to that silver and gold that perish, the blood of Jesus is precious because it never perish it is everlasting and its effect is eternal we just read a scripture from uh, hebrews chapter 9 that jesus entered into the holy places not with blood of goats and calves goats and calves but with his own blood what did he do he secured a redemption what kind of redemption eternal redemption, right? Why? Because the effect of the blood of Jesus is everlasting. It's eternal. That's why it's far more precious than silver and gold that would be destroyed and would perish one day. Amen? Number two, it is precious because of who Christ is. That's Peter referred to Christ twice in the letter that we were just reading here in 1 Peter 2. Uh, four to six. He called Jesus that he is chosen and precious cornerstone. A couple of times he called Jesus precious and chosen cornerstone. So if Jesus is precious in the sight of God, then his blood is also precious in the sight of God. Amen? And he tells us why Jesus is precious, why his blood is far more precious than the blood of any animal. Because after he said the precious blood of Christ, he said that this Jesus is a lamb without Blemish and without spot, faultless and flawless. That's what he was saying. And because Jesus' blood is so pure, there is no remote access of sin to it, or any sin cannot even come close to it. Because of his Jesus is, that's why his blood is also so precious because it is a pure blood. Amen. It's a precious blood because it's everlasting. It's a precious blood because it is so pure. And Jesus himself is chosen and precious in the eyes of God. But number three, it's a precious blood because of the cost involved. The word precious here simply means costly. Like that's how it's used a lot in the New Testament. Like gems, something that you spend a lot of money to possess. Expensive, very expensive. That's the word precious, simply means expensive. And that's what Peter was saying here, that the blood of Jesus is so precious because there is so great of a price that was paid on the cross. So you and I can be redeemed. That was not a cheap price. That was not something that you and I can afford or simply to come up with any day of of your life. This was a unique one of a time thing that Jesus did on the cross when he endured that massive torture on the cross so he can redeem you and me. That did not come cheap. That was very expensive. But he did it because he wants you and me to be redeemed. Amen? Just one example. I'm going to keep reminding you of this scripture. In Isaiah, it says, Isaiah 52, it says that on the cross, Jesus was so marred, so disfigured, that you cannot even tell he's a human being. Do you see that? You look at him after all the beating and the scourging and all what he endured, You cannot even tell if this is a human being or not because he's so disfigured. But he did that for you and me. That's why his blood is precious because it's so expensive. It cost him a lot. All the pain and the agony that he went through on the cross so he can redeem you and me. Amen? Good news, friends. We have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. It's the precious blood of Jesus. But this Jesus is also a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, these two words are different. They're not identical. The word blemish, more ceremonial. 
but the word um, spotless means more moral, okay? What I mean by that? In the Old Testament, there was ceremony for redemption, like God would say, if you need to be forgiven, you have to bring a lamb, and this lamb, you have to examine it, it has to be physically fit, and it has to be without blemish, or that is the word for physically fit. So the word blemish here, more like ceremonial stuff. If you're going to do a ceremony approaching God, that's the requirement, that the lamb has to be without blemish. The very first time we read a lamb without blemish, can anybody help me? Where was that? In Exodus chapter 12, when the children of Israel were in Egypt, and God was about to redeem them out of the land of Egypt. What did he say? Bring a lamb without blemish and slaughter that lamb, take his blood, put it in the top and the two door posts. And when the angel of death will pass by, he shall see the blood and he will pass over you. That's the first time we read about a lamb without blemish. And then it came a lot in the book of Leviticus after that. A lamb without blemish to approach God. You have to have a lamb without blemish. And I honestly think that is the foundation of what Peter was telling us here. I'll come to that in a second. But number two, it's not that this lamb is without blemish, that's Jesus, ceremonially fat, but he's also morally pure before God. The word spot here is somebody who never committed a sin, pure, holy. It's moral conduct rather than ceremonial um, approach to God. Amen? So what Peter was saying here, that Jesus is a lamb of without blemish and without spot, and I honestly believe that what Peter was trying to tell the people here is this. Do you guys remember back in the Old Testament when the people were living in bondage? And they were under the, 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 the severity of the labor that the Egyptians that have put them under. And in order for these captives to be set free, a lamb need to be slaughtered and his blood need to be shed so they can be set free. I have to tell you, Peter say, this very lamb that you read about in the book of Exodus is nothing but a picture of the true lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came from heaven, who's a lamb without blemish, lived a pure life, never committed the sin, never knew sin and then he goes to the cross so he can be slaughtered on your behalf on my behalf shed home blood so you and I who are being held captives by Satan and sin can be set free just like the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Amen? Amen. Amen. We have been redeemed not with corruptible things like silver or gold from our aimless conduct that we have received from our forefathers, but we have redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Amen. Who is a lamb without blemish and without spot. But number three, we have talked about what we've been redeemed from, what we have been redeemed with, but number three, what we have been redeemed to. Now, this is not in the text, but... If you relate that text to the other passages, the other verses that Peter was writing here, you'll know exactly what Peter was trying to tell us here. When Peter talks about redemption, he's not saying, hey, Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood so you can be redeemed from the bondage of sin and Satan. Now you're free to live any way you want. You can sin as much as you want, live any way you like because Jesus died on the cross to redeem you. Nope, 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 not at all. That's not what Peter was remotely thinking about. Amen? We talked about that roughly when we talked about how we are purchased by the blood of Jesus, right? And we said that purchased here 
that the idea of redemption is that transfer of ownership. You're under one master, but the master number two come and pay out your price. So now he is your owner. You don't get redeemed so you can be free on your own. Do whatever you like whenever you want. You've been transformed from one cruel master to another good master. Nevertheless, that good master is still a master. Amen? And that was what Peter was trying to say here. Look at how he described our way of life. He said it's empty and it is inherited, right? But in the same letter, Peter doesn't forget to remind us of how our life now has become that we have, redeemed, have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Amen? He said that we have an empty way of life. If you actually skip to the very last two lines of that paragraph in... Um, in Peter 1.15, First Peter 1.15, he said this, um, <clears throat> uh, your fetal, um, and their new life, he's saying this, be holy, that's First uh, Peter 1.15, the very last line of that paragraph, be holy yourself in all conduct. It's the exact same word that he used to describe our life before Christ. He said, now that you know Christ, you need to be holy in every conduct, in every way of life. So what Peter was telling us here is this, because of the redemption of Christ, your way of life has been changed from just being aimless and empty and worthless, and now you are to be holy in every small thing that you do and the way you live your life. Amen? So because of the redemption, we have been redeemed from the empty way of life to a holy way of life. Amen? But number two, this is good. He said that we have inherited this mess up kind of life from our forefathers, right? But Peter doesn't still forget to tell us what's our new inheritance in Christ Jesus now that we are redeemed. Amen? First Peter 1, 3 to 4. Look at this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into living hope through the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he, what did He do to us? He led us into an inheritance that never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Amen? We inherited a messed up way of life because of our forefathers. Thank goodness for the redemption. Thank goodness for the precious blood of Jesus. Now we don't have to inherit that no more. You and I have new inheritance now. Amen? It does not spoil. It does not fade. It is kept in heaven for all eternity for you and me. Amen? And that's what we have been redeemed to. We have been redeemed to a holy way of life. We have been redeemed to inherit that wonderful inheritance that God has for you and me. Amen? Let's say these verses one more time. Knowing that, let's share it all together. Knowing that you have not been redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless conduct that you have inherited from your fathers. But this is the good news. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Amen. 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 Let's all close our eyes and pray. Yes, Lord.